Welcome back to Rupture Radio, a weekly look at news, politics and culture from a socialist perspective. Uh, this week we are back with a news panel where we take a sideways glance at the news and events um, of the week. Um, if you didn't catch last week's episode, make sure to check it out. Diarmid sat down with author and Marxist economist Hadis Thier to discuss how capitalism works as part of our At The Roots series. Uh, the panel this week will be myself, Kian Prendival, hosting, and I'm joined by Nicole McCarthy. Hello. Des Henley. How are you? And back after a, a, a brief sojourn, Paul Murphy. Hello, oh, well, enjoyed my break. <laughs> Our, uh, we have we, a podcast with one TD, you know, that's what we, we've conquered a, a small amount of political power. Uh, um, uh, uh, one, so, uh, uh, first of all, congratulations. Have you gotten your um, I Survived the Facebook Crash of 2021 t shirts? Uh, um, can you, you'll be telling <laughs> your grandchildren, can you remember? Where were you when you discovered that um, your your WhatsApp and Facebook was was down, Paul? I, I was trying to send a message on WhatsApp on my computer, and it wouldn't. It said it wouldn't connect to my phone. And I was like, God damn it! And I had I like uninstalled and reinstalled WhatsApp on my computer, and then it still didn't work. And then I tried to send a message on WhatsApp, and then it didn't work. It was WhatsApp was definitely the first thing that I noticed. I wouldn't notice Facebook that much. Well, I did get a message on Facebook, which is unusual enough these days, and then I. Uh, but then I went to look at it and I couldn't look at it, but I just thought, oh, Facebook and thing. Did that mean, were you able to download the actual application from their website? So their website no, was... No, I, 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 I don't know if I could or I couldn't, but um, it, uh, it was already on my computer, the like installing setup. I get thingy. you, I get you, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, how did you yeah. all find the time... I just knew shit was hitting the fan when I got a, an SMS text message to arrange a meet and I was like what is this you know you kind of I feel like I spend a lot of my life giving out about being added to another Facebook or another WhatsApp chat and you know I'll never take them for granted in the same way again <laughs> yeah. Yeah. likewise I think it was the it was it must have been about five o'clock that evening when I tweaked it because I sent a couple of WhatsApp messages but always urgent so I then realized they hadn't gone through um Call the person to say, look, my WhatsApp isn't working at a point where they said, actually, I was having problems with mine. Then I checked Twitter and then I realized there was something wrong. <laughs> so that was my Voyager discovery. Only how everybody automatically like blamed themselves or their own technology and stuff. Like I'd yeah, say yeah. the amount of people that restarted their phone or tried to reinstall or something like in our minds, we were like, no, this couldn't possibly be Facebook's issue. It has to be something localized, you know? <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Yeah, they had a bad week overall because they, they had that, which like wiped billions of euro off of Zuckerberg's wealth. I can't remember how much it was, but it was massive enough. Billions. Um, yeah. How much? Yeah, it was billions. It was like yeah. three or four billion, I think. Uh, bad day. Bad day at the office. Just uh, a little quick three or four billion, you know, yourself. Six hours. Is that how much he's making every six hours? No, but it's it, off his wealth. It, it was like, the value of the value. His, his stocks. Uh, but it was it was one individual apparently <laughs> <laughs> making that mistake. That's what that's what I heard. Someone was like doing something in the server and press the wrong button or something. And then the issue is they're so reliant on on Facebook themselves that like internally the only communication they use with each other is their own systems. Like they're only so then they didn't have any mechanism. They couldn't get back in if if they had like like outside backup systems that weren't reliant on Facebook, they would have quickly been able to fix it. But because of the whole way, it's so dependent on their own infrastructure, they weren't able to fix it for hours. Cut the blue wire, not the red wire. Cut the blue wire and then cut the wrong one. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> if you work for Facebook, you have to have a Facebook and you have to give them your URL and stuff to use certain tools while you're in work, like even to enter the build and you have to give them your Facebook URL and stuff. It's a bit... Still view the future, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's that philo- it's that it's one of those like Black Mirror type uh, uh, societies, you know. Um, but it is the the IT geek in me felt my heart went out when I read about that your man because they they apparently they accidentally like told the internet that its servers no longer existed, um, and then just everything crashed, um, and they were locked out and all that. You know, it's it's a fairly um fairly stressful day at the office, but it does also show like that. Like you, Zuckerberg can lose a couple of billion, and like it makes no makes no odds to him. You know what I mean? It's all fictitious money in a sense that he's more money than he could ever possibly want, more money than he could ever possibly spend if he was spending a million euros an hour. You know, um, just the, the scale of their wealth is losing a couple of billion is the equivalent of like you know when you take your 
your clothes out of the washing machine and you discover that you had a, a fiver in your pocket and it's all crumpled now and ruined like you know it's like oh that's a pity uh, um, but here Nicole I know you were looking at the, the other bad news for um, Facebook this week was there uh, the whistleblower testifying in the US yeah so I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg's had better weeks in his life alright anyway so uh, whistleblower Frances Hahn. Um, so she was a former Facebook data scientist, and she is given evidence to the Senate Commerce Subcommittee on Consumer Protection. And basically, what she's saying is that Facebook were aware of apparent harm to some teenagers, and they are being dishonest in the public fight against the hate and misinformation. So she has tens of thousands of secretly copied internal documents, and um, that shows their own research um, knew that if they amplified hate, misinformation, political unrest, it actually makes people come back to their servers quicker. Um, so it, for me, I was just thinking one of the first examples I thought of was like the cigarette companies back in the day. You know, they had all this research. They knew they were like slowly killing people and they said nothing. And to be honest, in terms of like the effect on people's mental health and stuff like that, I think Facebook is doing a similar thing. You know, like some teenagers, especially young girls, um, because of the visual focus of Instagram um, in terms of their mental health and body image, 13.5% of teenage girls we're saying that Instagram makes their thoughts of suicide worse and 17% say it makes their eating disorder worse. Yeah, we're all addicted to continually going back on. So it's like a, a trap that these people are just going in to give themselves further misery each day, each morning. You know, it, it's, it's mad. But it, like they, it is genuinely, they try to develop addiction. Like, you know, they employ psychologists to try to figure out how can you get people hooked keep people going for longer than they planned to uh, um and it's like they, they, they're playing some like very intelligent people a lot of money not in order to like how do we improve this service for ordinary people but in order to figure out how do we like tap into the worst uh, um fears and darkest recesses of people's minds so we can uh, uh, push them to develop a, an addiction to, to to social media you know that's what i mean that the the standout quote from the whistleblower was that they put profit before public safety. Um, and that's like the nature of a corporation. They're going to pursue their profits um, at the expense of massive damage to people's lives. And I, I do think people don't fully, or it can be hard to grasp just how impactful Facebook can be. Do you know what I mean? They literally shape people's emotions um, in order to get them to engage more. Um, and even that is just like a means to an end. Um, the end being advertisers giving Facebook money to target you with very precisely targeted micro, um, like micro targeted ads. Like effectively, that's what the big social media giants are. They're like advertising targeting companies. You get all this stuff supposedly for free and they give like just so much information. I mean, everybody has a story about things being advertised to them, like really precisely that they knew that this is something that you might want or whatever, or a need that they're trying to create uh, for you. Um, so the impact in terms of mental health, but also on the environment, and um, which is like, two, there's two sides of that. One is like all the data that is used, all the energy in the data centers that is used to, to run these algorithms to target people is immense. All the data that is unnecessarily stored on people. But then the other, the flip side of it is like the unnecessary artificial wants that are deliberately created by Facebook to buy like the latest crap from AliExpress to throw out your fast fashion and to get new fast fashion or whatever. Like it's really, you know, fueling. And it is an interesting thing there because people would see, oh, maybe Facebook, Google, etc. It's like a new greener form of greener kind of fraction of capital, but actually like they're proving to have like huge negative environmental impacts uh, themselves. And it points to like that destruction being quite inherent to capitalism. But they have ping pong tables at work. Are they not the good capitalists? Some have like loads of free food as well. Like, uh, I want free food at work, Paul. I demand free food <laughs> yeah. at work. Little, little glimpses of Yeah, uh, my social media um, addiction of choice is, is Twitter. So uh, I was watching anxiously in case that was going to go down. But yeah, so I, you know, a couple of years ago, I basically stopped using 
Facebook and I've never been on Instagram, so I didn't really miss them. But it has been interesting looking at, you know, the, the effects and the sort of stuff that Nicole was talking about there and how toxic that is. And, you know, you just think, how you know, how does the world, uh, how do people get away from that? You know, it's a real challenge, a real challenge for socialists when we these huge transnational corporations. And um, but it was, I read um, Ministry for the Future uh, recently, um, really interesting uh, you know, a piece of fiction on, on climate futures. Uh, and within that, there was kind of the, the world using um, open source, basically developed alternatives uh, and replacements for the likes of the uh, uh, Facebooks and these to, to come off those uh, and get onto something that isn't driven by the profit model, because that's where the toxicity comes from. We need social media. Um, if there's so much value to it, but you just need to get it off onto publicly owned open source type to platforms where it can be there for social good. Um, so you know, that's a challenge for us in the next decade, decade or two. And as if it wasn't bad enough that they're torturing teenagers, uh, they literally, they've decided to put on hold at the moment uh, their Instagram plan for children, which they were going to aim at 10 to 12 year olds. Um, I, I just this is definitely going to come in the future. Like if they think they can profit off something, they will. And the younger they get you and the more they advertise you to you at a younger age, the more, it's you like know, a, susceptible you, you are to it. Do you remember, I used to remember, even when I was young, they had the, like the chocolate cigarettes and chalk cigarettes. Yeah, they were like, so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they doesn't miss the chalk cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? That's how I smoke who today. Who doesn't miss the jokes cigarettes? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm not a favorite, but I did enjoy them at the time. I mean, the other thing is, it's like there's also like even more extreme harm being done by Facebook. Like, so I, I had to research the, all the bad stuff that Facebook was doing in the context of various radio debates I was on about nationalizing Facebook. And like the worst example that I came up with is like UN human rights investigators found that Facebook had some complicity in the massacre of the Rohingya people in um, Myanmar. Um, basically, there was like loads of fake news, hate speech spread about the Rohingya uh, people, which like incited people to genocide. Obviously, it doesn't take the agency of the people who like were doing the inciting and people who were uh, who did the, the massacring. Um, but Facebook facilitated that. And like it's like an extreme version of what they do in terms of far right content and stuff, as long as as long as people are engaging, they're happy. Like that's what they want is people to be engaging in the, in the services. And they've also participated in censorship um, in various countries with authoritarian uh, regimes, like, like Turkey, for example. Um, and like, there is just a basic point, you know what I mean? People try to suggest that the idea of Facebook being in democratic public ownership being run as a public utility was crazy. But the real alternative today is that like a private company get set aside for profit what you get targeted with, what information you get at the, they just get to decide that you get to promote this, this gets promoted, this doesn't get promoted, they get to shape your emotions. Just like an incredible, probably unprecedented amount of power for one corporation. Um, and that in reality is now a natural monopoly. Because like in theory, oh, it's capitalist free market. You can go and set up like face something else or something else book or whatever but like all your friends are on facebook or more likely are on instagram or whatsapp or whatever so it, it isn't really possible once they've achieved such dominance in the market and um, the idea of other companies coming along to displace them isn't going to happen it's like the tendency of capitalism towards uh, monopoly and then you've got a choice allow it to be run by these super super rich individuals um, or say okay it should be uh, democratized decommodified and in public ownership so apparently these new algorithms changed in about 2018, they say. And they, you know, they've realized obviously that making people miserable makes them want to buy more things. Like sad people are more likely to buy products, you know? So, it, you know, you can understand how that happened. But for me, like, yes, the actual content and what I'm reading online, you know, it angers me or it makes me sad or whatever. But the actual emotional effect for me is like, when two hours has passed and I look back and I'm still on my fucking phone or whatever, you know what I mean? It's the, it's the disappointment in yourself for letting yourself get sucked into it, you know, that kind of way. And like mm. the time drain that it is, like, I think that's also a huge factor on the other side. Like, yes, the content is, is bad, but it's the fact that I'm trapped in it that makes me sad about it in a different way. For sure. And like, and that's like, you're battling against like scientists, psychologists that have like figured out how to, 
uh, do that, you know. So it's not on you um, any more than like developing Hands an addiction key. to. It's <laughs> not your fault. Better. It's not what's my fault. That, what's that film? Yeah, Good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting. Hug. <laughs> Just repeat it's not, what, not your fault. It's not over and over. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then just break down in tears. This is like an emotional intervention. You know what I mean? Uh, no, um, uh, but the, the other, like that's like the notion of uh, uh, democratized, decommodified. That this this massive power um, that these social media networks have. Not well, not just social media. There's also you have to add in Google and Amazon. Between the three of them, Facebook, Google, and Amazon, they have they control like the internet. Like you know. Uh, um, uh, uh, but the massive thing is that, is that the internet is no longer just the kind of like, you know, the infrastructural pipes through which information, but most people now access the internet, um, which is a relatively free space, etc. in theory, but they access them completely through these companies. These companies effectively control like the, the main roads of, of the internet. And it means it undermines the, uh, you know, any question in terms of um, like internet freedom and, and all that. But like that, that that power should be democratized. Obviously, this would have to. This involves a global struggle. But that power should be under democratic control um, and not be commodified. Like like running those services for profit inevitably means a direct confrontation uh, conflict between the interests of profit and like the interests of like human sanity. You know. Um, well, in terms of that, there's like an EU commission that was launched, and they did an antitrust probe into the Facebook use of data. And the reason they looked into it is uh, in case Facebook has undue competitive advantage so we live in a world where we know it's unhealthy for us to be involved and to be engaging so much in these social media platforms yet the eu commission is looking into like hang on a minute are they stealing profits from other rich people and making themselves on you know what i mean it's just it goes to show you the priorities that exist and you know how it does need to be run by somebody who's like actually has Mm -hmm. people's interest at heart you know (laughs) But it also, it definitely is a monopoly. Like, you know I mean? Like, you compare the power of these companies now is, like, equivalent or bigger than the power of the oil companies and the big banks and stuff like that, you know? Uh, um, and also, like, and but basic steps, breaking up, uh, um, like, Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, they should never, Facebook should never have been allowed to, to buy up those uh, and should at the very least be broken up. But also just, like, like a small step, but banning this micro-targeting, um, like this micro-targeting of advertising, it's completely socially negative. Um, but also, this is what our data centers are doing, tying it back into like previous news. This is like the data centers, they like to pretend like, oh, they're providing us with valuable services. A huge amount of what they're doing, and we don't know the precise breakdown because they claim commercial secrecy, but a huge amount of it, you can be sure, is actually crunching these micro ads, monitoring every m- milli action and uh, uh, um, everything you look at and everything you talk about and think about almost uh, um, to try to push like better wish products on you or whatever, you know? Uh, um, uh, and that is products? just so well, sorry are there good wish products <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought they were all crap there, uh, there, go, there goes the wish sponsorship we were hoping for Paul <laughs> use our affiliate link now <laughs> but do you think that we're paying for rising energy prices to fund Facebook to advertise back to us like is that how the data centers are working right now you know what I mean we're literally paying to be advertised to it just seems outrageous Mm. to me and and the storing of of that data as well that the team was talking about there you know the the data mining that goes on but the the long term storage that they they can keep going back and mining and re-mining that data looking for uh, marketing angles looking for targeting angles that's where a vast amount of the uh, energy has been consumed in, in the data centers um, and I saw one uh, suggestion um, that's you know new privacy laws just outlawing a, a lot of that would have a huge impact on reducing energy consumption just privacy laws so they can't store this data they can't mine this data you know and, and, and bringing the privacy laws you know where um, you know at the point where it's just been used for commercial purposes for targeting you know just cut all that stuff out and you know the, number one you know there, there would be the beneficial effects on mental health that we're talking about and number two the, the energy effects because you would greatly reduce what's, what's needed and has been consumed by the data centers in particular the other thing to do is to, to ban advertising almost a trillion euros is spent yearly on advertising and like the vast majority of that is not you being given 
useful information about products. It's instead pretty much identical products pretending that they're different. And um, that's, that's one side of it. And then the other side of it is like trying to create new needs for people that they didn't realize that you needed this like thing from Wish or not just from Wish either. Like it's like you're kind of, um, you're more Western companies as well. Um, and there's just huge amounts of, of energy and it's not productive for it's all right, you know, Paul. We'll jump on Amazon next week. You don't need yeah. to. You don't. Don't. Don't worry. Don't worry. But feel, I do want to move on, though, because <laughs> um, I do want to move on because uh, I know Paul has to go in a while, and I want to talk about the uh, upcoming budget. Um, uh, and people for profit, I think, will be. We're recording this on Thursday the seventh. We're PVP will be launching their uh, alternative budget document. Um, tomorrow and I know Des you've been working on that a lot and doing some of the research and stuff I think well one thing tying it in there is um, PPP are pushing for the notion of, of, of taxes on those data centres uh, um, in this budget as well but could you give us a bit more of a, some of the highlights as to yeah. what's coming up yeah, yeah. Um, I just, you know, pr- probably in terms of the, the overall context, so the, the Department of Finance are indicating that there's $4.7 billion, uh, available uh, for this budget, and that breaks down. Uh, most of that is in the, the spending space, $4.2 billion, and then about $500 million that they're talking about uh, tax reductions. Now, most of that will go into widening of the tax bands and effectively is kind of in inflation adjustments so the real impact of those is, is likely to be pretty minimal of the 4.2 billion in spending you know the, about a billion of that on new measures um about 2.1 billion on public pay increases things like fuel announced that have been flagged pensions social welfare increases and about 1.1 billion on, on capital spend so that seems to be the kind of the budgetary framework uh, that we're working in and it's you know i've described that as fairly incremental uh, overall and it's kind of an unusual time in terms of global economics and because this, the context of very high public debt and high fiscal deficits is the very time the likes of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and their equivalents internationally would really be putting the boot in with austerity 2.0 but it's not it's not there yet um, and I think it's that we're, we're in an era of we're probably at an inflection point that might take another year or two to move through. You know, the, the end of the extreme expand, expansion expansion of um, uh, money supplies by the central banks around the world, that seems to be winding down. Um, and what was associated with that is, of course, these super low interest rates. And, the, and the, those super low interest rates have made this level of record level of debt, public debt and corporate debt have never been as high as they are, even in relative terms to GDP at any point in, in, in human history. Um, and yet it looks kind of sustainable when interest rates are so low. So I think the dynamics here is that when interest rates start to move up, as they probably will, you know, as inflation is already on the move, interest rates will follow. Um, and that, I think, will really drive a change in, in terms of global uh, economics and, and, and public finances um, and push in, you know, the, the next era of austerity. And I think Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are waiting for that international cover, effectively, before they move into that. So it's not, you know, kicking in in this uh, budget, um, but, but, you know, the next one or the one, one after. So that's kind of uh, the, the international context as, as, I, as I would see it that reminds me a bit of an episode we did a few months back now at this stage about a discussion on the, the is there a debt of neoliberalism or is it just in retreat uh, um, with uh, uh, Sammy and I think Brian I'll make sure to put that into the show notes as well but just ha- how uh, the, the 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 dark clouds of austerity 2.0 still hang over us uh, um, but maybe just t- to talk a little bit about like what is possible uh, um, the alternative because uh, um, I, I think in the last year we have seen um, like things that PBP always proposed that was always said as oh that's impossible you couldn't possibly do that uh, um, were done like you know a massive increase in public spending on, obviously uh, um, but also like um, I always come back to on the, the example of the, the, the eviction ban, you know, on February 27th, Michal Martin of 2020, Michal Martin at a press conference talked about how, oh, you couldn't possibly ban evictions. It would be unconstitutional to ban evictions. And like three weeks to the day later, Michal Martin introduced a ban on evictions or the government introduced a ban on ev- evictions. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I was like, oh, wait, all these things that we were told were not possible were actually possible and I think some of the I think that's what PPP are trying to push in in, in this budget um, 
in, a, in, in our budget submission is that actually there, uh, there is a better society is possible but maybe you could give us a feel of some of the proposals that um, PPP yeah. will be pushing and I might, I might just start with the, the revenue, uh, you know, raising side of it and then come back to, you know, what we can use that money for. Um, because uh, I think the maths of the, the PVP budget document is with about 22 billion in revenue raising measures and about 20 billion then in, uh, in additional expenditure. So those both inc- incremental numbers. Um, so more on, on the revenue raising side. Um, so the thought of the, the big things, you know, corporation tax is obviously in, in the news big time. There's, there's, there's been this massive change in the old context again there, particularly since the Biden administration and the moves that they have made. So, you know, um, you know, we've we've been looking for higher corporation tax for a long time, but um, it's on the move now. And it's the, t- it's the time for, you know, Ireland should be pushing hard now when the opportunity is there. So we're, you know, we're talking about co- the corporation uh, tax rate going to 20%. You know, it, it, you know that that's... Um, the government is obviously probably talking about 15 now seems to be conceding that but you know that that's not enough you know you need to be moving to 20 in 2022 and then beyond that Um, and it's kind of hard to quantify what that would raise because you know you can raise the 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 rates 20 percent but there's a huge amount of profit shifting taking place in Ireland because it is a tax haven and because you have a huge amount of these very large corporations shifting their profits into Ireland for, for the purposes of minimizing or, or avoiding tax. So what, you know, when you raise the rates, you know, what, what, what's it going to be applied to in terms of corporate profits in the future? It, it's hard to, to quantify that. On a simple maths basis, go to 20%, you know, you would raise 30% billion there but we know a lot of the profit shifting would would stop and would evaporate you know as it should frankly it's 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 wrong it's immoral it's robbing the the wealth of, of other nations so that has to stop but we would conservatively uh, estimate that about 10 billion uh, would would come out of that you know when you allow for reduction in, in profit shifting so that's that's a, a big and that's piece. just that's just setting that the corporations the big corporations pay the same rate of tax as low-paid workers, like when I worked in a, I worked in a art and hobby shop, an unnamed art and hobby shop, um, um, uh, uh, and like I was paying, and I was on minimum wage, or whatever. I was paying twenty percent tax. Do you know what I mean? Um, and if you just enforce that on corporations, you're saying even assuming like a huge chunk of it disappears, you're you're saying ten billion more yeah. in. Like that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and convert conservatively stated at that, and, and that's exactly right. You know, when no doubt this will be challenged by many voices, um, but you know that point you make there, Kieran, you know, of uh, relating it to what workers are paying, I think punches through a lot of those criticisms. Just one, one interesting thing is is the extent to which the corporation tax and Ireland having a low corporation tax in reality being a corporate tax haven, but definitely saying we're not a corporate tax haven is so central to the ideology of the ruling class in this country. Um, and it's effectively about the role that Ireland plays in the global system of uh, capitalism that like we're a place where other companies, where multinational companies can come and uh, and effectively avail of our very low tax regime. But a part of that is the um, the media pushing the narrative that our low corporation tax is good. And so there's a headline in today's Irish Times about how um, 59% of people agree with keeping the corporation tax at 12.5%. Um, and only 26% would support increasing it to even 15%. But it's a very interesting study in like media manipulation of an opinion poll. Um, because if you read what the answers that we gave to people is they, they said that the, the options were don't know no opinion, the government should maintain Ireland's 12.5% corporation tax rate, even though other countries want to harmonise the rate at 15%. Or the government should join international efforts to harmonise corporation tax at 15%, even though it may lead to a drop in corporation tax revenues. And so basically, like we asked people, as like Own Daily tweeted, we asked people whether the thing we told them would have negative consequences was bad. And people said, yes, it was bad. Like, you know, it's very, very No, dramatic. one in three like, people, one in one, one, like, three people still, 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 say, still yeah. said yes. <laughs> um, it reminds me of some of those, like there were some awful uh, repeal uh, opinion polls at the time, which again were manipulated to suggest that people weren't in favour of, of repeal and abortion rights. Um, but it's all like, it's so core to them that they all have to be out fighting for um, the right of corporations not to pay any tax. Do you know what I mean? That's what they've spent the last year doing or, or like in the OECD, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But that political consensus uh, um, of the establishment and this like sacred cow of the corporation tax 
is so far reaching that even like Pierce Doherty, Sinn Féin uh, finance spokesperson was out like criticising the government for talking about increasing the rate of corporation tax to 15%. Do you mean like, like Sinn Féin finance spokesman somewhere to the right of Boris Johnson on the question of corporation tax, like, you know what I mean? Uh, um, it's, it's surreal. Well, it's not, it's not, sur- not surreal, but like, it, uh, um, it, it just shows how embedded and how much Sinn Féin, despite all that of their talk, are actually still trying to um, ride two horses at the one time. They're trying to appear to ordinary people as being a radical voice of change, whilst also sending signals to Ibeck and the bosses and the business and the, the ruling class that, oh, we're a safe pair of hands. Uh, we look after big business and we won't touch you too much, you know? Uh, um, yeah. Now, I, I might just pull out a couple of other ones that I think think are particularly interesting. Kian, that there's one, you know, proposal on higher, or is it higher... Um, Marginal income tax rates on, on high earners. So, you know, rates that go to 50%, 55, 60, and 65%, you know, on a sliding scale of earnings. Now, in total, uh, that can raise just uh, just over 3.1 billion, which is a huge sum again. And when we were doing the maths on this, what we saw was the incredible escalation of high incomes that have taken place in recent years, um, you know, during the, the financial crisis and during the, 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 the pandemic era. And it's just really loaded uh, earnings towards the top. And the interesting thing is that, you know, that the 65% kicks in for those earning over 275,000 per, per annum. So that figure I mentioned at 3.1, two thirds of that comes out of that layer, the, the, you know, the above 275,000, you know, because there's such a massive concentration uh, of money in there, um, uh, and lesser amounts then coming from people on between 100 and 150, 150 to 200 and 200 to 275 are the, are the other layers. But the interesting thing was that two thirds of that is piled into that above 275,000 a year earnings uh, who we would uh, attach a 65% rate to. But, you know, it, it's, it flows from the massive inequality and escalation of inequality that's taken place in, in recent years. So that's another uh, big one. I, I just one related to that then is on a, on a wealth tax that, we can think can raise just close to five billion, another big number. But a two percent wealth tax on the the wealthiest five percent of of households, and that's excluding the family home from that up to a value of a million. Um, but again, there's a huge, such a massive concentration of wealth there that a two percent annual wealth tax would raise close to five billion. You know, so uh, another huge number in there. So. Now, th- th- that's to give you a sense of the sort of measures that should be applied that a PVP are proposing um, and would raise, you know, um, put together with a, a number of other measures, would raise about 22 billion in additional revenue in 2022. And then, you know, if you want to talk about it, what, what are the sort of things that we think should should be done with that? And um, the, so obviously the, the lesson from all that, uh, there's is that like the money is there there's the, there is billions out there uh, um there's not just a money tree there's a forest uh, um in the uh, accounts of these billionaires and big businesses but the other part of it that i think is useful to talk about is that sort of the, some of the transformative policies people before profit will be pushing in the budget as to the kind of dramatic or radical change that could be implemented. Uh, um, but Paul, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the positive proposals and the transformative things that, that PPP will be pushing in this this budget document or, or alternative budget? Yeah, I mean, we, we have been, for the whole last number of years, the socialist left has been pushing for free green and frequent public transport. And I've included it in our budget statements and it's here again. And I do think it's an idea which is actually increasingly gaining popularity people can see it um you know you have the national development plan um and then you have all these roads and the more motorways and like that's the whole emphasis really out there and, and the alternative being okay no let's invest in free green and frequent public transport um so we have uh, that obviously addressing the housing crisis is absolutely uh, central to it saying that we should be building uh, at least an extra uh, and um uh like bringing back into uh, usage, um, you know I mean, retrofitting and so on, 25,000 uh, uh, public homes on a yearly uh, basis to actually address the housing crisis as opposed to the government's approach of just relying on the market uh, to do it. Um, we're talking about a, a lasting uh, COVID 
benefit for workers because obviously the government has been a lot of discussion about oh we're going to give this group of workers this or that you know they have a Thanksgiving bank holiday but we're talking about transforming workers lives for the better so three additional bank holidays a 15 euro minimum wage ab- abolition of Croke Park hours abolition for ordinary workers of USC and replace it with a high income uh, social charge take significant steps towards a national uh, health service um, significant investment in, in childcare in education etc so an indication of look people's lives could be transformed for the better um, on the basis of this very substantial wealth which exists in our in our country and then the other element actually is um, other significant environmental measures in terms of retrofitting uh, people's homes investable in renewable energy like what we've seen is actually the failure of the private sector to invest in renewables. It was one of the things that come out from the energy crisis discussion is that the companies have been making massive profits and actually haven't been investing those profits into renewable energy. And it's the public sector that needs to take the lead on it. Thanks a million. And I know I can hear the, the alarms going off in the background there for you, Paul. I think you, I know you have to get do, down I'm to sorry, the, get down to the doll number. Uh, um, uh, uh, but f- fair play for that. Uh, um, and so... Other like well, one of the things that just jumped out to me. I know it's not the major thing, but it just shows like what is possible and not as madly expensive as you might think. Is the the fact the, that they're not increasing alcohol prices? <laughs> <laughs> it uh, is possible. <laughs> um, uh, it is possible to to, to to keep alcohol prices down. Is that what you're saying? The key things that the socialist left is pushing for is cheap booze and fags. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking, but that is usually is a key. I know. I feel like ordinary people. That's like one of the main reports that they hear. They're like, what's the story with booze and fags? You know what I mean? We're just all numbing ourselves quietly while we search on social media and cry slowly. Well, yeah, and like obviously, it's is a comical part of it. But actually, like those are some of the most regressive taxes in the country. As in, like they hit the poorest the hardest, um, and they go up every every year like you know but what i was going to talk about as a as a positive transformative policy is uh there's a line in there that's, i don't think it'll get any headlines but for free school meals and um, to roll out free school meals in, in in every school across the country and like it's a couple of hundred million it's which for an ordinary person sounds like a lot but for the government is like is is loose change like it's very easily funded and it, it's a small measure, but it would be transformative uh, um, to, 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 to families, you know. But there's are there other policies in there that you wanted to, 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 to push into the limelight. Yeah, well, just on the education theme. So coming back to this, so we talked about the money that could be raised from the, from the corporate sector, you know, um, and, you know, the, the sort of things that we could have. So on, on education, you know, we, we can move to a 15 to 1 pupil-teacher ratio. You know, we can do that with the funds that would be available. Um, we could have free school meals, breakfast, uh, and, a, and a lunch for children at primary and post-primary level. Um, and we can get rid of charges for books and uniforms and these vol- so-called voluntary contributions. So we can get all, all of those and have truly free um, education for uh, and, and, and you know, make sure children have the, the food and the nutrition uh, that they need to make sure that they can ful- fulfil their potential. potential. Um, you know, and, and abolition of third level fees and making sure that additional places are level are available at third level. We've seen the chaos around the CAO in recent years. So all those things can be done and, and you know, can be funded from the, the, the money that is available that we talked about a bit earlier. So I, I would just call out, just on the health side as well, so, you know, there is an opportunity now to, you know, establish the All-Ireland National Health Service that uh, PPP have been talking about for, for, for some time, you know. Um, and I was watching um, Stephen Donnelly and Robert Watt at the Oireachtas Health Committee during the week. And, um, you know, uh, and uh, Gino Kenny was there for PPP um, and he tweeted afterwards that really what we're watching here is the sabotage of sludge care. That, that's what these guys are, are doing um you know sludge care was published over four years ago now you know and it, it has some weaknesses and we would have looked for more but there's a lot of positives in there around 
you know, uh, free universal care, you know, uh, free at the point of use, GP care, primary care, dental care, drug and addiction, rehab, rehabilitation, um, getting private health out of public hospitals. All those things are in slauncha care. It's not just some technical regionalization thing as, as people might um, think based on the, the media coverage. There's really important things could be done there. But that's been sabotaged as we speak. And that's why we're having the resignations that, that, that we have. But we can well, we can fund um, that National Health Service. You know, we need probably 4,000 nurses and 500 additional consultants. Um, we probably need to double the number of ICU beds. It's because we've got amongst the lowest um, number of ICU beds to per capita that we had some of the longest lockdowns in, in, in Europe. You know, we need to tackle that. Um, mental health is another important one that we're only spending about 5% of the health budget on mental health at the moment Slauncher Care itself looks for 10% your PPP would say you should be 12% uh, of the health budget so we're proposing that over three years we would double the current 1.1 billion that goes into mental health currently about 5.2% uh, of the health budget to get it to 10-12% over three years that's another that's 400 million but again we can have that. We can pay for that. And it's urgently, urgently needed, as we know now. Um, so I, I think that, that, that on the, the health side uh, was interesting. And just for kind of childcare and early education is another important one as well, because, you know, we, the um, UNICEF recommends that each country should pay one, spend 1% 1 of its GDP on um, on childcare and early education. So even if you allow for, you know. Those, those radical Marxists that is UNICEF, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Hard left, apparently. Um, but 1% of GNI for Ireland, given that there's a load of uh, fictitious tax haven nonsense in the, in the GDP, even allow for that. That means we'd have to triple uh, the budget to get to the level recommended by UNICEF. But that would give us, you know, the early child scheme at the moment is 15 hours for 38 weeks. We could get to 30 hours for 48 weeks. You know, funding for the National Child Care Service to subsidise uh, the cost to all parents. And a 15 minimum wage for childcare workers to probably support that. So uh, that's just a flavor of some of the other things that can be done. They can be done now uh, yeah. and we can raise the funds to pay for them. I think that's I, a book that I read a few years back that was a real inspiration to me is a book called Raising Hell and Raising Expectations. Um, it's about organizing workers and stuff. But I think one of the concepts in it is that like a key role for left activists is to raise people's expectations as to what life could be like, as to what is possible. Um, and that if you can raise people's expectations and raise people's sense of like what's achievable, then that can help you in in raising hell. And I do think the work you've done there is with people for profit and important to get this document and that loads of other people I'm sure have been involved in, but is very important in raising people's expectations as to what is possible. Um, yeah. And I, I think that it is a very worthwhile document for people to read and just to see what, what could be done uh, um, tomorrow. Well, next year, um, uh, 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 if the uh, if the political will was there, uh, um, but yeah, but will we? Should I, we? I, go on. I would just 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 a kind of a closing comment there as well because it's an interesting document and it's you know um, a lot of reforms in it to to use that term. But the important thing, of course, then is that you know PBP is unique in terms of the left in the doll or those that were described as the left in the doll is that we know that this would be resisted enormously by capital. Um, those others on, on the, who claim to be on the left, we know would immediately start negotiating and go into a long-term uh, retreat when faced by that. You know, the politics of PPP is that we, we're, you know, we're going to do this and we will mobilise um, uh, working-class people uh, to get this done. And if that means, you know, confronting capital, then that's, you know, that's what will have to be done. And I think that's a defining feature. And the document has to be read in that context. Um, if this will be done, it will require confrontation with capital and it will require mobilisation. And that's key to our politics. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, uh, uh, will we move on? Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the um, energy price uh, crisis stuff. This is something that like, I've been reading up on and doing a bit of work on uh, um, over the last while. Because uh, you're a homeowner. 
<laughs> I am. On, I, yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been mainly researching uh, who I should switch my electricity bills to. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because you know, as somebody who's who's still at home uh, in my my parents' house, it it is less affecting on me, you know, and it is something that I've looked into less. So it's funny the different layers of society that it affects. But I can't help think of the poor renters who are already absolutely like paying astronomical prices to have the threat of like an extra 500 euro on gas and electricity. Like obviously that's not affordable for people who are already living paycheck to paycheck. It's nonsense. Like, and and even actually, because a lot of the, um, like there's a concentration of people that are living off that their home heating is by electricity. Uh, um, that's predominantly in urban areas and cities and they'll be some of the hardest hit by, by these uh, um, changes um, and that's people in apartment blocks and stuff like that that you have those like really super expensive to run like uh, uh, electric heater stuff as well so it, it'd be for, for some of those it'd be even more than 500 you could be talking up to 800 uh, um, increase from this you know uh, yeah well what's nonsense there is that people who are on electric and natural gas will be the worst hit but the coal, which is the worst for the environment, are going to be the least affected by it. It just doesn't make sense in terms of trying to like do any kind of environmental conservation or anything like that. It's like, what's the message there to go and change but, but to coal? Even yeah, <laughs> um, uh, well, that's what the government is doing since the Green Party. Uh, took took charge. There's been a, a ramping up of Money Point, which is a coal powered. Uh, uh, Energy plant uh, near near me near 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 Limerick. It's out in Clare. Uh, I'm um, sure that's why people voted for the Greens to make sure yeah. that we use more coal. <laughs> but it's, it's because obviously we're at this point where for for a decade now there's been or for decades now there's been underinvestment in renewable energy, and then when there's the impact of a decline in global supplies of gas, uh, um, the only backup that they have uh, um, is 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 coal, uh, um, and actually like. Obviously, part of the problem is that, like, over the summer months, there was due to weather conditions, there wasn't the same level of wind uh, energy produced. But that's why you need a network of renewable energies. You need tidal, uh, you need offshore wind, uh, um, which Ireland, like, if you compare Ireland to like a country like Denmark, uh, um, Ireland is just not at the races when it comes to, to that sort of stuff. You know? Well, even for once, we had a bit of sunshine. We could have used a bit of solar power over the summer. You know, mm-hmm. we never have that opportunity. So for sure, like, a, a mixed yeah. bag is needed. Yeah, I was just, I saw something yesterday, I referenced just to, again to go to, to the global that um, China, where, you know, capitalism has relocated a huge amount of its industrial uh, capacity, but it, it's, it's now turning to Australia and what had been called stranded coal assets that perhaps were going to stay in the ground. China is now looking to do a deal with China to, to get access to uh, coal to uh, find the additional energy. It is, you see, it is, it is, that's capitalism driving innovation, Tez. That's, that's, <laughs> indeed, uh, indeed. Uh, the ingenuity of capitalism. They'll figure out yeah. how to burn the last, the very last drop of oil. They'll figure out how to extract it, you know what I mean? Whilst we're all like burning to and death. And then when the last fossil fuel is burnt, that's when they'll come up with the technology for renewables that will save us all. Yeah, that's yeah. the hope that we all have to have. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Come on, Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's just the logic of that is, is just so terrifying that, um, you know, the coal that perhaps was going to stay in the ground has now been extracted to, to because uh, China has been facing rolling blackouts in, in recent months, you know. So this this global phenomenon that, it, you know, does flow from the growth dynamics uh, of capitalism, the profit dynamics of, of capitalism, you know, that, that that's at the heart of so many of these things. Unless you go... Um, and deal with that, that these sort of problems would just pop out in different places at different times um, uh, and then you know as we talked about data centres in Ireland it's just one of its manifestations Has there been any kind of people power pushback in China against you know if they're experiencing blackouts and stuff has there been any kind of rise of protest does anybody know? Well, you know, I, I think that there's ongoing, you know, social unrest, uh, which the, you know the the, the Chinese uh, authorities are always very alert to and, and nervous about that there would be that uh, bottom up thing. So, you know, 
their solution then in order to maintain their own power uh, over that society is to turn to, to coal, which will be enormously damaging. But, you know, it's, it's, it's another form of power structures looking to sustain themselves, doing very damaging things to, to keep themselves in place instead of acting on behalf of the, of the whole of a society. So uh, that, that is part of that dynamic. Yeah, and obviously, like within Ireland, a major contributor to the to the danger of blackouts uh, um, and to the energy crisis here is that old our old friend data centers, um, which are chewing up now eleven percent of all energy and are scheduled to triple uh, um, in the next couple of years. You know, in the amount of energy that they're using. Uh, um, but uh, the the another big part of it is um, the privatization of energy. Uh, um, that like ESB. Uh, a board gosh and all, like all of these things ESB was broken up and big chunks were privatized board gosh is a privatized company now you know uh, um even though it has that state sounding name uh, um yeah funny the way they kept that to like keep people in favor in terms of marketing like yeah exactly <laughs> um uh, but um like the, these this privatization has resulted in like a huge increase in spending on marketing and telemarketing and like special entry level offers to get you in the door and and like uh, uh, multiple managers that you need to talk to before you're allowed cancel uh, you know it's led to a huge increase in those budgets but it has not provided the investment uh, in actually improving the infrastructure and in, in, in providing the renewable energy that we need at, at anywhere near the scale that we need it. Uh, um, and like PBP, I know brought, there was a, a, a bill this week pushing for just a small basic measure that the government could do. They could in, introduce maximum prices for uh, uh, the cost of a, a unit of electricity or gas, uh, um, which has been done like, Measures like that have been followed in Spain, Italy, Greece, and I think even Britain has done something like it. But the Irish government, classic like ultra neoliberals, like refused to even do that, even just to, to uh, uh, tip their finger on the scales a bit to try to limit how much the energy prices can go up. Because uh, um, they just don't want to step on the toes of these big energy companies. Yeah, it's all part of that, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, their the philosophy is to be the hyper-liberalised um, um, enclave in Europe that, you know, uh, is the best place to do business for large corporates uh, in Europe. I mean, that's that's their vision, that's their model, um, and, you know, everyone else has to pay for that, has to fund that, and it's, it's just just leading us into so many uh, dysfunctional things and so much damage to ordinary people then in terms of the energy that they're paying, the, the risk of blackouts, um, underfunded health service. It, it expresses itself in so many different ways. Well, when you pitch it like that, how could we not agree, Des? <laughs> <laughs> All right, will we uh, leave it there? So uh, um, unless there's any final uh, uh, comments or contributions from people, um, I'd like to thank everybody. Thanks to Des and Nicole and to our uh, departed Paul now uh, uh, um, for, for joining. Well, he's not uh, dead. Us. He's just gone downstairs to the doll. <laughs> oh, I thought you would just <laughs> shot him in the back. I feel like <laughs> the... Uh, the word departed always yeah, sounds really serious for me. <laughs> or the late dearly departed. Or the late Des Henley, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, he was a couple of minutes late onto the Zoom call. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, yeah, so thanks a million for everyone for that and for all those listening. Um do we, we should have more uh more of these panels coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're even hoping to get back into doing them in person again and maybe even uh, being able to have a live studio audience uh, um, uh, at some stage once uh, bit of atmosphere exactly yeah, and a, yeah a, a nice. bit of a social event as well you know yeah. um, and we'll also have a number of uh, uh, At The Roots interviews coming up as well so keep an eye out for those in the coming weeks and thanks a million bye thank you bye okay. bye everybody